Welcome to Whitechapel Church Online. You're currently listening to preaching from our Sunday services. We believe that when the preaching happens, that collectively we're hearing the Word of God, and that God's Word has the power to change who we are. We also believe that God can meet you right where you're at, and that He has a Word specifically for you. We hope that you enjoy today's sermon, and we would love to have you at an in-person service. Head over to whitechapelchurch.com to get more info. Enjoy the sermon, and be blessed. It is great to see all of you this morning. I uh, want to ask if you would to grab a Bible and turn over to Acts chapter 4. We're going to continue reading in Acts chapter 4. So we've been working our way through the book of Acts. Sorry, Martin. And we're going to continue going through the book of Acts here. And seeing what God is doing in the early church and why that's important for us and how that is relevant to us. And so with that, um, before we get to Acts chapter 4, I just want to remind you of what Pastor Ashley said just a couple of minutes ago uh, when she was up here, that uh, we are so close to our goal of Thanksgiving baskets. We set a goal of 50, we're at 48, and that's awesome to see. However, I also want to share with you, we have had requests um, from some of the agencies that we work with for about 100 baskets. The need is great. The need is great. And so I want to ask you, if you've already given a Thanksgiving basket, would you just this morning and tomorrow pray about it and see if the Lord would have you give one more Thanksgiving basket? If you haven't given a Thanksgiving basket, would you consider giving a Thanksgiving basket? It's $50, provides a complete meal for Thanksgiving for some people that are truly, truly needy, they've been vetted. It's not just anybody that shows. They've been vetted and they've demonstrated a real need. And we want to be the hands and feet of Jesus and bless these people this year. We've done this for a couple of years now. It's been awesome. You all have responded in a huge way. Uh, but this year, there's a great need. And we expected it. And so we want to be able to meet those needs. And we're believing that the Lord's going to provide the funds so that we would be able to meet 100, the, the 100, about, it's a, right at 100, the 100 baskets that the, Lord, that the Lord has sent people and demonstrated a need. So uh, you can do that online on our Facebook or on our website, uh, whitechapelchurch.com. You can give in the baskets, uh, the, the boxes, the black boxes as you're leaving. Or if you tomorrow say, hey, I've got some money, I want to drop it by the church office, you can do that, drop it at the church office. So let's get to Acts chapter 4. So we're going to continue in studying in Acts chapter 4. It's been so awesome watching the promise that Jesus gave, the command that he gave, and then that promise being fulfilled of Holy Spirit arriving in Acts chapter 2. And then we see the multitude of people that have begun to give their life to Jesus and how they've surrendered to him and then the infilling of Holy Spirit as well. But here we get to Acts chapter 4 and the disciples, um, well, there are two disciples that we focused on. It's uh, been Peter and John here that we've dealt with in Acts chapter 4 that have found themselves in a difficult situation. You don't have to raise your hand. 
But I wonder if any of us have ever been in a difficult situation in our life. Any, any of us, there's been a lot of us, and if we would be honest with ourselves, we could go around the room and every one of us would probably be able to say, I've been in more than one difficult situation. But here, as we read last week, Peter and John are in a difficult situation only because they were doing the will of God. So remember two weeks ago, we're reading in Acts chapter 3, and Peter and John encounter this man who has been lame, not able to walk for 40 years, over 40 years of his life. And they're just walking by, and the man's doing what he does every day. He's just begging and saying, can you please help me out? Could you please help meet my need financially? And Peter and John said, we don't have any finances. We don't have any money to give you. We're just going to give you what we have, and that's Jesus and the name of Jesus. Get up and walk. The man got up and walked after 40 years. Here we see, because Peter and John were walking in the Spirit, miracles in the early church begin to happen. Miracles, I want you to catch this. I said it two weeks ago, but I want you to know it because I want you to believe it because it's the scriptural truth. Miracles that God wants to do in this world did not end in the book of Acts. So whenever we get to the end of the book of Acts in a year or so, whenever we eventually get there, uh, I, I believe we're going to get there, but we're two and a half months in and we're still in the middle of Acts chapter 4, so we'll see. However, the miracles when we get to the end of Acts didn't stop. When the uh, apostles all ceased, the mir- or when they ceased to live, the miracles did not cease to continue on because I've seen miracles happen in front of my own eyes. I've seen, you all could testify, of the miracles that have happened in these walls. The multitude of miracles that we could testify and go back in our church archives and we could see that they took place in what we now call the Berkwist Chapel. God has continued miracles and he desires for these miracles to continue. But Peter and John are now getting called on the carpet, if you will, because God is working a miracle. They got drugged in front of the Sanhedrin, all of the religious leaders. They couldn't get any charges to stick against them because the scripture that we read last week said, because all of the people in Jerusalem were in awe of what had happened, they knew the mighty work of God was beginning to take place. They saw the miracles. It was demonstrated in front of their eyes. Another 2,000 people get saved, and now Peter and John are in this difficult situation Because the religious leaders, the ones who crucified Jesus, now have their eyes on Peter and John and the other apostles. And these about 5,000 or so believers here in Acts chapter 4. So if you take a look at Acts chapter 4 verse 23, I want to continue reading about this difficult situation. And I want you to pay close attention here as we read here in Acts 4.23 of what Peter and John did. Because they have given us a pattern that we must follow whenever we find ourselves in a difficult situation. So when life gets hard, our back's against the wall, it seems as if we've painted ourselves in a corner, if you will, and there's no way to go. We don't know what lies ahead, and we're immobilized. This is really where Peter and John were. Because they said... Go forth from here. The religious leader said, go forth from here and don't preach in Jesus' name anymore. Don't do anything else in Jesus' name. And then in Acts 4.23, let's, let's see what their response, Peter and John's response were. On their release, 
Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders said to them. I wish that Luke, in writing this one verse, had given us a little bit more insight to what this conversation was like with the believers. You remember, Peter and John spent a night in prison, not this luxurious prison, no food, no electricity, no amenities, dirt floor, no restroom, gross, 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 gross prison. They didn't come back to the believers for one night. So can you imagine what the believers' conversation was like? Where's Peter and John go? What's going on with Peter and John? The last we knew about Peter and John, they were going down to the temple, and they were going uh, to spend some time in prayer. But then Peter and John never came back. So then Peter and John finally get back, and all Luke says is, they went back and they reported all that the chief priests and elders said to them. Could you imagine this conversation taking place? Yes, they arrested us. What do you mean they arrested you? They put us in jail because this guy wanted money, and then we said we don't have any money. All we have is Jesus, so in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. You mean this man, they probably knew him by name, this man who had been lame for 40 years got up and walked? Yes, this man got up and walked. And then the people said you can't preach in Jesus' name anymore? Yes, that's what they said. And that's what they put. Could you imagine this conversation that's going on back and forth, back and forth here in all of the details? And all Luke says is, they reported what was said to them. But Peter and John in this moment is expressing this difficult situation that they are in. This situation where all eyes of the religious leaders are saying, don't go preach about Jesus and do anything in his name again. And then imagine the gasp of air from the believers when they said, you mean they said we can't tell what we've experienced in Jesus anymore? You mean that we can't tell that this man, that everybody who had been to the temple who knew he was lame had got up and walked and God did a miracle in his life? And then in verse 24, when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Let's read that verse again. When they heard this, they went down to the town council and they protested because the religious leaders had told them that they couldn't tell about what Jesus did. Is that what it says? Uh-uh. When they heard this, verse 24, when they heard this, they started a petition on Jerusalem book because they didn't have Facebook back then. They started a petition on Jerusalem book and said, we have to throw these people out and get new leaders. That's not what the scripture says. When they heard this, verse 24, when they heard this, they took their torches and they burned the homes and they rioted in front of the religious leaders. That's not what verse 24 says. So let's read verse 24. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. How many times, I won't ask you the question. I'll ask myself the question. How many times, Michael, whenever things get hard, do you live out Acts 4, verse 24? Honestly, I think if we would be honest with ourselves, our flesh kicks in a lot, right? And we want to take the situation in our own hands, and we want to try to fix it 
ourselves. I am a natural fixer. I want to fix stuff. I don't like it when things are broken. I want to be able to solve things. I want to be able to look at something and think outside of the box. And how do we do that? How do we do this? That is my instinct. That's where I default to in situations. But that's not what Peter and John did. And that's not what the early church did. The early church did exactly what Jesus had told the disciples that they should be doing whenever there's difficulty. And Jesus actually modeled this for them. The disciples, whenever they were commanded to stop talking about Jesus and preaching in his name, all they did was come in agreement with the believers and then they prayed to God. Listen, if you're in a difficult situation this morning, if you find yourself in a place to where you don't know what your next step is, or you've been crippled and mobilized in life because of something. Maybe it is physical, or maybe it is financially, or maybe it is some other decision. The best thing, the only thing that you can do to find a solution in a God-honoring way is to go to God in prayer. Now listen, God expects you to use your brain because he gave you a brain for a reason. We don't, when we enter into a relationship with Christ, we don't take our brain in and set it aside and say, all right, God, control me like a robot. That's not how God works. God expects us to rely and depend on him first and then put into action with our brain and our body the things that he directs us to do. The pattern that Peter and John gave us here is vital for us in relationship with Jesus in 2022. And if we want to see a fresh move of Holy Spirit in the church today, then this has to be our commitment in relationship with Jesus Christ. So let's look at their prayer. When they heard this, verse 24, when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David, why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord... Consider their hearts and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And catch this, verse 31. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. So let's see what's happening here, and I want to unpack this for just a couple of minutes this morning. What we see happen is the actual promise that God had given to his people, that he would never leave them nor forsake him. We are his people in relationship with him. 
That promise that Jesus made when he was here physically on earth, God in the flesh said, I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. That is now being played out in the life of the early church. And God is standing to embolden and empower them to do the things that he desires for them to do. Remember last week? I said, whenever there's a move of God, Satan always counters that move of God. That's what the book of Revelation is is all about. It it, it, um, reveals what the enemy is doing. And here, we actually see that. God coming to be with his people, miraculous signs begin to happen, and then the enemy begins to attack that to shut it down and to counter it. And how does he do it? He does it with the religious leaders so that they, in the name of God Almighty, could stop the move of God through Holy Spirit, God being with his people. We have God with us. Amen? God with us. So in a couple of weeks, we'll begin to celebrate. No, it's, it's, it's next week, right? Next week is the first Sunday of Advent. Can you believe that? So next week when you come in, this place will be beautified with Christmas stuff everywhere. And all throughout Christmas, we're going to talk about God being with us. God being with us. We have this promise fulfilled in our lives. And whenever that promise is fulfilled, the enemy wants to attack and stop it so that his work could move forward. Here, what we see in Peter and John's life and these early believers of a couple of thousand people here, 5,000 or so people, is that they were dependent upon Holy Spirit. God with them. God in them. They were totally dependent upon that. So our role as followers of Jesus must be the exact same thing that the believers were modeling for us here in Acts chapter 4. Whenever the work of the enemy is attacking We're not going to turn on each other, and we're not going to give in to the work of the enemy. We're simply going to say, hey, God, you are with us, and I need you in this moment to tell me what I need to do. When there is a difficult situation, you must rely on God with you instead of you walking away from God. And there is the choice for all of us. Whenever you have difficult moments, where are you going to run? Are you going to run into the moment? Or are you going to run to God? Are you going to run to somebody that's going to help you solve that? Or are you going to run to God? The question is where are you going to run? Whenever you face a difficult moment, there's a lot of good advice in this world. I remember when we used to get the newspaper. I get it digitally now, and I read it digitally. I don't get a physical newspaper any longer. I remember, though, when I was a child, and we would get the newspaper, my grandma would read a column called Dear Abby. Do you remember Dear Abby? And Abby would give all of this. It wasn't really an Abby. But Abby would give all of this amazing advice. And you could write with some anonymous name into Dear Abby, lost in Lincoln. Sign your letter that way. And no one would know who you were. 
And you could write to Dear Abby, and she would give you all of this amazing advice on what you should do. And there were some amazing things, and I love to read or hear my grandma read to us the Dear Abby and get all of this amazing advice. And there was some good advice in there. But I wonder, instead of writing to Dear Abby, what it would look like if we instead wrote Dear Jesus in all of our situations where we have some difficulties. So imagine the advice that we would get from Abby, and imagine the advice that we would get from Jesus. Who do you want to run to? Here, Peter and John came back to the believers and said, look, we've got a problem, and we need God to intervene in this problem because we've been told we can't be who we are. Our identity is attacked from the enemy, and we want to keep being people of Jesus and operating in his kingdom. So the first thing they did is cry out to Jesus. They modeled for us that our role as believers must be to pay attention and cooperate with the Holy Spirit. There are a few things that the Bible tells us about prayer. And I want to push you this morning before Thanksgiving in this time where there is going to be a little bit, uh, a little bit more grace, if you will, in our schedules. I want to push you in these moments over the next several days to begin to spend more time running to God first than running to anything else. So I want to look at this morning what the Bible tells us about prayer. Here's some New Testament thoughts about prayer. It's a couple from Peter, a couple from Paul here. In 1 Thessalonians 5.17, the scripture says, pray without ceasing. In 1 Peter 4.7, be sober and watchful in your prayers. And I love that word watchful there because sometimes we puke everything out to God and then we stop watching. Romans 12, 12, Paul says, be continuing steadfastly in prayer. Colossians 4, 2, vigilant in it, prayer, that's prayer, with thanksgiving. This is the cry of the New Testament for every single one of us as followers of Jesus Christ to run to God first with our problems and then listen to him and then live that out. However, however, I think that in our world today, we have taken the bait of the enemy to neglect our time with God because we're smart people, right? We've, we have some answers ourselves. We have some solutions that have been written into the laws for us. We have some safety nets that are all around us. That These things are not bad things. But we have to learn to first run to God and allow him to use these things that he's allowed to come into existence for his glory and for his honor. And so because we have some solutions provided to us outside of relationship with God, what happens is our time with God is neglected. Oh, we may give him a tip of the hat here and there. And we may say, Hey, I know you're busy, God, and you've got lots of things on your plate today, so I'm not going to worry you with this little issue that I have over here. I'm not going to bug you because I know you're thinking about wars and kids who are starving around the world. There's, there's a whole lot of people. There's millions of people who still have never even heard of you, so I'm going to let you take care of that, and I'm just going to deal with my flat tire around here. When I say flat tire, because I want to tell you what I experienced this week. 
Now, you can laugh at me after I share this story, but I'm telling you it was a situation, and I needed God to help guide me and where I need to go. So uh, in the neighborhood where we live, they finally, praise the Lord, have started picking up all of the debris from the first hurricane that we went through. I know they've been busy, and there's a lot of debris that they've been picking up. But uh, some of our neighbors had some fences come down, and there's some wood and different stuff that are out there that are mixed in with all the trees. And they come through, and you know, you've seen them. They pick it up with these, these little, um, I call it the grip of death, and then they pick it up, and then they drop it in their truck, right? These big, huge monster trucks, and they drive all over. And so they did this in our neighborhood. And I came home uh, one day this week. I had an appointment at home. Somebody was coming to look to fix something for us. I met them at home. They had picked up the stuff uh, on our street, and then I drove out of our street. I go to Walmart to pick something up. I get to Walmart, and when I walk out of Walmart, I look, and there's a nail that struck right in, right in my tire. I'm like, boy, I don't even know where to go. I've not had to have tire stuff here. Um, I've, not, I've not been able... I've not had to use any tire service here, so I don't even know where to go. So I called one place, and they said, we're not even going to be able to get to you till next week. Oh, great. I've got a nail sticking on my tire, and everybody today has tire work all of a sudden. So I stopped, and I prayed, and I said, God, I don't know where to go. Would you guide me? So I went to a place on Dunlawton. I went into the place, and he said, we're backed up. It'll probably be tomorrow afternoon. And I said, all right, if I, can, if I need to make an appointment, I'll make an appointment. But I've got a, t- a nail that's not pushed all the way into my tire. It's just sticking out, and it's hanging there. And I'm worried if it comes out that it's just all the air is just going to come right out of the tire, and then I'm going to have a flat tire. I can put the spare on if I need to. And the guy said, well, let me just take a look at it for just a moment. So he walks out. He looks at it. And he's like, I think you're going to have to have a new tire. He looks up the size. He goes inside tells me the crazy price of this tire that I'm going to have to put on my car. He's going to make an appointment. He says, let me go look at it one more time. And he takes this spray bottle out there. And he sprays it and he sprays it. He does something to it. He's messing with the nail. And I'm thinking, this is a recipe for disaster. Because I know when you've got a nail in your tire, you don't pull the nail out because all of a sudden it's going to be flat. And I'm thinking, I'm going to be stuck here. So anyway, I just said while he's messing with his tire, Lord, please help this man do the right thing. Because he had already told me the price of the tire. And I didn't want to have to buy a new tire. He's spraying and looking. I don't know all that this guy does. But all I know is the nail is out of my tire. And he says, it's not leaking. You're good to go. I get in my car and I go. Now, I know that you're probably laughing. You're probably thinking, oh, that's nothing. There are huge problems in the world, right? And that's how we treat our relationship with God. God, you've got a lot on your plate. I know that you're worried about wars and rumors of wars and people that have never heard of you and starving kids. And you're dealing with all of this stuff that's going on. All I've got is a nail in my tire. But you know what? I stopped and I prayed about it. And you know what? God heard that prayer. And I did not have to pay for a new tire. And last night... I put air in one tire, but it wasn't that tire with the one that had a nail sticking out of it. It seems like this is the most small pebble in the quarry, right? But you know what? God cares about every pebble in your quarry. 
And you know what God wants? He wants you to come to him with everything, no matter how big or how small. Because this is what I know about God. He has a lot on his plate, but there's always room for you on his plate. This is the God that we serve. And Peter and John and the believers here are telling us, we've got a problem. And then they showed us the first thing they did is they went to God with the problem. Oh, how our lives would be so rich with the presence of Holy Spirit if with every problem we would first go to the Lord in prayer. This is what we learn from the Holy Spirit's uh, move in the early church. And this is why we get to the end of this passage we read today. And it says, after they prayed. You catch that? In verse uh, 31, after they prayed. You see, they did the work in prayer. And after they prayed, look what God did. The place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. They were totally dependent upon the Holy Spirit because they went first to God in prayer. Now notice here the parallels at what we in this passage in Acts 4 and what we read about in Acts chapter 2. Now here there's a problem. Persecution is beginning to come to the believers and they go to God in prayer. This is Acts 4. In Acts 2, the promise was given and Holy Spirit came. And I want you to catch the parallels of what we said last week of why the infilling of the Holy Spirit is not a once and done type of thing. But it is an everyday thing that we must depend on. So watch the parallels. Here, they had just prayed. In Acts chapter 1, they had been praying for about 10 days. Here it says, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. In Acts 2, it says, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. The exact same phrase. Here, God shakes the building to demonstrate his power. In Acts chapter 2, they all begin to speak in a different language to demonstrate the power of God. Here we see a move of God's power. In Acts 2, the sound came from heaven like a mighty rushing wind. Here they begin to then speak the word of God with boldness. In Acts chapter 2, they spoke so that everyone heard the good news of Jesus. And it all came from their commitment to go to God first in prayer. So where do you turn for your problems? Google's amazing, isn't it? I love Google. I say to Melissa all the time, if I'm busy, could you Google that for me? And then like just read what, what's going on. Google is amazing, but stay away from WebMD. Because if you go to WebMD, if you have a hangnail, we're all dying. Google is amazing. I love Google. And we often go to Google for solutions to our problems. But I wonder if instead of turning to the internet, what our lives and actions would look like if we first said to God, hey God, could I Google something with you first before I go looking for solutions somewhere else? What if first we called out to God? What if first, after calling out to God, he heard and he answered our prayers? What if that 
became our first priority in life. You see, whether we pray or not is not a matter of time, but it is a matter of our priorities. God has given us all the same amount of time. And some of us have important jobs, and some of us don't have important jobs. It might seem to be that way in our world. Some of us might be busy, and some of us might not be busy. Some of us might have a lot of tasks, and some of us might not have a lot of tasks. But regardless of where you would fall on those scales, your first priority has to be to call out to God because every one of us have the exact same amount of time and we prioritize our day and we prioritize what is important to us sometimes by default and sometimes by scheduling but we as followers of Christ in relationship with him must first prioritize prayer We have to be a people that are committed to running to God first above all others and all other things. So what priorities or what priority does prayer have in your schedule? Do you live out the pattern that the believers, Peter and John and the other believers have given to us here towards the end of Acts chapter 4? Where when something comes against you or a difficult situation arises, you say, hey God, I've got to have some time with you. I've got to be able to have a conversation with you about this that I'm actually dealing with. You see, for every question you have in your life, God has an answer. I would write that down. I would remember that. For every question you have in your life, God has an answer. And here, Peter and John had a question about what they were going to do. How in the world are we going to be able to rise up against the religious leaders and conquer them and destroy them? That wasn't what they prayed. How are we, as these small people, going to be able to take out these people that are telling us we can't be doing something? That's not what they prayed. What they prayed is, God, we just want to be who you created us to be and tell people all about you. So please, help us. The room was shaken. Holy Spirit filled every single one of them that were there, and they began to preach the good news of Jesus in a bold fashion. And we will begin to see miracle after miracle after miracle take place because first, their priority was to pray. You see, this is important because prayer is not by somebody that has any type of special rights different than what we have. Prayer is not by some special privilege that some people have and some people don't. Prayer is simply our communication with the one who died to actually be with us. God with us so we could be with him. So where is your priority whenever you confront difficult situations in your life. These believers knew that they had access to the creator of the universe. And if God can take nothing and speak it into existence, then he probably knows how everything works and we need to come to him so that he could provide answers to every one of the questions in our life. Prayer must be the top priority in our life. 
God with us. And the way that we experience that is by turning to him in prayer. When things are out of kilter in our life, when things are out of kilter in our country, when God's presence is missing, it's when we begin to discover the out-of-kilteredness, if you will, that is all around us. It's true in our country. It's true in our lives. It's true in our jobs. It's true in our families. It's true in every single area of our life. And we have to be committed to his presence with us that we experience in prayer, turning to him first. So how is it that we get there? Let me give you a verse. How is it that we get there? Jesus told us, it's in John chapter 15, an amazing passage of scripture. And here in John chapter 15, verse 4, this is from the New King James Version, because I like this word a little bit better. Jesus says, abide in me, and I will in return abide in you. Abide in me, Jesus said, and I in you, as the branch, that's us, cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, that's him. Neither can you unless you abide in me. Jesus said, I want you to abide in me. I want you to turn to me. I want to be with you, but you've got to take the step so that he can then have the permission to abide with us. But we are the ones who turn to God and say, God, I'm coming to you because I don't want other solutions. I want your solution in this situation in my life, so I'm just going to abide in you. And the way that you take that step to abide in him is to spend time with him in prayer. Abide in me, Jesus said. And then that commitment back, then I will abide in you. Jesus is talking about the vine and branches here, and there's a lot to be said about that, but a lot of us operate as independent branches disconnected to the vine. And the way that we do that is I've got a nail in my tower. I've got a nail in my tire. I'm not going to bother God with this. I'm just going to tackle it all by myself. Now, there are some times that you can figure things out on your own. God has blessed us with wisdom and knowledge, and we can go into those things. And that, that my nail and tire is just a silly thing that I wanted to use to say, I know that God directed me and God guided me, and he saved me a lot of money in doing that. God cares about the big and God cares about the little. But the way that we get this relationship is by beginning to abide in him, and then he actually abides with us, not living separate, independent branches in life. So we've got to say, God, I just want to be connected to you. I want to have all of the resources like the early believers did here. I want to be just like they are. I want you to help me with my problem. Peter and John and the believers had a huge problem here, but they went to God about it. They didn't go to all these other people about it. They didn't start searching for answers in government. They didn't start searching for answers in the religious leaders, the Sadducees. They didn't start going and say, hey, what do you think we should do? What do you think we should do? They went to God, and God provided the answer. So what need do you have this morning? This is where we have to get personal about this and live it out. Apply this in our life. Start abiding with God. Listen, 
we do not have all of the answers, but we know the one who holds all of the answers. That is Jesus Christ. And so when we abide in him, when we turn to him, and he then is with us, God with us, he abides with us, and we rely on him, then our struggles start to disappear. Our struggles start to work themselves out because God provided the answer. So what struggles do you have? What hard places do you have in your life? I want you to know this, to leave here this morning knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt that God cares about every single one of them, however big or however small they might seem to you. What struggles do you have? What heartaches do you have? What are the burdens that you are actually carrying in your life? What are the things where you need God to intervene and provide a solution? Because the pattern that we have here is whenever we have a need, we have a need meter. Whenever we have a burden, we have a burden reliever. Whenever we have an issue, we have one who can solve it. So what needs do you have in your life? This morning, I want you to trust God with every single one. This morning, I want you to leave here so unburdened and unweighted down, it's almost as if we, you're like a balloon filled with helium that we have to attach a string to to keep you planted back on this earth. I want you to leave here this morning knowing that there is no worry that has to enter our mind because we've totally trusted the Lord. Listen, Peter and John's life were on the line here. The early believers were threatened with their life but they were fine with that because they went to God for the solution. So this morning has to be a moment for every single one of us to lay our burdens down, to put them at the feet of Jesus and say, God, I don't know. I've tried. I've tried for decades. I've tried for years. I've tried for moments. I've gone through this. I've tried. I've struggled. I've spent sleepless nights. I've stressed about it. I've fretted over it. And some of those things may have been valid things to do. But this morning, we have to lay those things at Jesus' feet and surrender them over to him and say, God, I'm taking my hands off. I don't know what to do, but you do. So please direct me and guide me and give me peace in this moment. You know what? We don't have the final answer on anything in our lives. He does. So this morning, I want to ask you as we sing in just a moment to lay those burdens down at the feet of Jesus. To say, God, this morning I'm surrendering. I'm taking my hands off. And I'm turning to you. I'm crying out to you. I want to abide in you. Would you abide in me? Thanks for joining us at Whitechapel Church Online. We pray that today's sermon blessed you and that you'll continue to join us as we lean into God's Word together. Until next time, have a great week and be blessed.